0: Let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews 7. Turn our Bibles to Hebrews 7. And then we'll also look in the back of our hymnals to page 937. God's Word first, as we read together Hebrews uh, 7, starting at verse 22, (coughs) says in verse uh, 22 of Hebrews 7, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they uh, were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, Separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens um, who does not need uh, daily like those uh, high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people but because this he did once for all when he offered up himself for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. And then we'll look at um, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 29 of the Lord's Supper, section 2. In this sacrament, Christ is not offered up to his father nor any real sacrifice made at all for the remission of sins of the quick or dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself by himself upon the cross, once for all, and a spiritual oblation of all possible praise unto God. For the same, so that the popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, the alone propitiation for all the sins of his elect. Let's pray together. Our blessed Father, we pray that you would help us to remember the most glorious, wonderful, once and for all sacrifice of Christ our Lord and help us to study the essential nature of this blessed work of Jesus, this completed, final work of Jesus. Help us to understand, to believe these things, and to rejoice in them, and to believe them unto salvation. For we ask all this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I looked up uh, what is the current Roman Catholic liturgy, of the Eucharist, and the Eucharist is uh, also considered the the celebration of the Lord's Supper, according to the way the Catholic uh, Church has it. Um, and this is actually from CatholicResources.org. Um, this is a little bit different from what I remember growing up in the Catholic Church, but here is what they have as the modern liturgy. The priest says, "This pray, brethren, or brothers and sisters." that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. And then all the people say in response, May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and for the good of all his holy church. Now, the way I remember in the Catholic Church is that the priest would say, May this sacrifice be acceptable to you, O God. That's the words I remember. So it maybe has changed since the 70s and 80s. But this is a practice that is clearly opposed by section 2 here. It's talking about a re-sacrifice of Jesus in the Mass. Um, Now, uh, we'll look later on how they would try to use some language to say, well, we're We're still having a commemoration that we know that Jesus was sacrificed once on the cross. But still, the language and the mentioning of Christ being sacrificed over and over again in the Mass does injury or damage to the one true ultimate sacrifice of Jesus our Lord. Now, my hope is that tonight I can give you some of the scriptural background for why we need to uphold that the Lord's Supper is only a commemoration of Christ's one ultimate sacrifice on the cross. Now, when I say that's what it is, we have to remember, too, that as this, as is taught elsewhere, when we partake of the sacrament by faith, it's more than a commemoration. There's a spiritual presence of Christ that builds us up and helps us to grow in holiness. We don't believe um, that the elements become the body and blood of Christ, or like the uh, the Lutherans that... Uh, The presence of Christ is all around and wrapped up under, beneath, and around the the sacrament. But in fact, there is a true spiritual presence involved that helps us to grow in grace. So section 2 begins by saying this. In this sacrament, Christ is not offered up. So when we take the Lord's Supper, Christ is not offered up to his Father, nor any real sacrifice made at all. For the remission of sins, of the quick or dead, but only a commemoration of that one offering up of himself, by himself, upon the cross, once for all. I like that. Once for one offering up of himself, and then later on, once for all. They wanted to make sure that we got that, didn't they? And here's the passage that we looked at earlier, Hebrews 7, and following. Now, there's a theme in Hebrews that's a beautiful, wonderful theme that in Christ, everything is superior. It's, in Jesus, it's better in every way. And in this particular text, in Hebrews 7, there's a lot of things that we see that are better. Verse 22 says that Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, people make promises. People say, I'll give you my word. Or even businesses might give you a guarantee. But later on, they, they back out on those guarantees and they're not faithful. That's not so with Jesus. The guarantee in Jesus is sure and steadfast and perfect. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, The promise of God... In Him, in Jesus, is yes. Therefore, through Him also uh, is our Amen to the glory of God. Through us, now there's other translate translations that are a little bit easier. Um, Some, uh, I think, in the New King James, it says, "In Him is yes and Amen." Um, We look again at chapter seven, verses twenty-three and following. And it tells us that the priesthood of Jesus is far better because he is eternal and permanent, unlike earthly priests who suffer death. And that's why they had to have so many priests because they all died and others had to replace them. Look at verses uh, 23 and following. It says, The former priests, on the other hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, Because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus has a priesthood that continues perpetually. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He lives forever to make intercession. He is perpetually our ultimate high priest and he will continue in that office for all eternity. Um, We know that the author of Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus is a better high priest because he is sinless and undefiled. According to verse 27, it says that the earthly high priests, they had to offer up sacrifices first for their own sins and then for the sins of the people. That's kind of a, an inadequacy, would you think, that they are priests to serve for our being reconciled with God, yet they themselves have to offer sins for themselves. But it goes on to say that because Jesus, being holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, verse 26, says that his perfect sacrifice Once and for all was when he offered up himself. He made a perfect sacrifice. Once and for all when he offered up himself. Verse 27. Now, I was reading a Roman Catholic apologist and he says that our interpretation of Hebrews 7 is myopic. It means nearsighted. In other words, we, we don't really see clearly. We, only, we, we don't see well. So therefore, in other words, you, you argue from Scripture. Instead of, instead of trying to argue from Scripture, you insult the person and say that they're nearsighted. And then he goes on and cites other passages. But really, he doesn't deal with the text. Um, if you look, it's not just Romans 7 you have to deal with. Did you know that this is repeated at least two more times in the book of Hebrews um, I don't know if I said he- Romans, but Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, uh, seven, and also in two other places in the book of Hebrews, tells of passages of how Jesus offered up Himself once and for all for sinners. Now the next one there is Hebrews nine twenty eight. Hebrews nine twenty eight says, so Christ, also having been offered up. Once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Again, once offered to bear the sins of many. Another passage, Hebrews 10, uh, 7 and following. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. In other words, the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. It's written of him. To do your will, O God, after saying above sacrifices and offerings and whole burnt offerings and sacrifices uh, for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this, we uh, will have been sacrificed, uh, sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus. How? Jesus' sacrificed once for all. We will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Um, it's not even just only in Hebrews. Um, it's in your outline there, but in First Peter 3:18, it says, "Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just, for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, speaking of his resurrection. That's a lot. You know, if you just had one verse, there's some that we could claim. You know, you people are proof texting about this Jesus offering up himself once and for all. Well, I don't know. It's three times in in the book of Hebrews, and Peter mentions it as well. Jesus offering himself once for all. Okay? Section 2 goes on to say, That Christ offered himself once for all and a spiritual oblation, that's a spiritual offering, spiritual offering unto God, uh, of all possible praise unto God for the same. So that the popish sacrifice of the Mass, as they call it, is most abominably injurious to Christ's one only sacrifice, the alone propitiation, that's the turning away of wrath for all of the sins of his elect. So why do we oppose the notion of the Catholic Mass as a a re-sacrifice being given unto the Father, of Jesus being given up unto the Father? It's because it's injurious to the doctrine and teaching that Christ offered himself once and for all. I want to read you a little section from... Uh, G.I. Williamson in his study book uh, on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Uh, This is uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith for study classes. And he says this, uh, this is page uh, 285. If Christ's one sacrifice were not sufficient, Scripture could hardly speak in this manner of all those passages we read. It speaks in this way because Christ's one offering was sufficient to atone for all the sins of his elect people, whether they be past sins, present sins, or future sins. The Romish Mass, in denying this, undermines the integrity of Christ's work and leads sinners to trust in the priest. The Mass and the Church rather than in the only sacrifice that can deliver them from their sins. And he goes on to say that, of course, the Roman church uh, teaches that the death of Christ, uh, that he dies in the Mass, is not another, but somehow tied to his death on the cross. But he, I love this part. He says, because of his own, their own testimony, the Roman church says this, that he is not through dying. In other words, Jesus is not through dying because he's being re-sacrificed. Um, a sacrifice has no value until the dying is finished. But if Christ is not finished dying after 2,000 years, how can we be sure that he, is ne- he will ever be finished dying? Then what becomes of our hope of the resurrection? Indeed, how can there be a resurrection from a death that is Perpetual. In other words, Jesus Christ continues to be re-sacrificed, to be on, an ongoing dying in, in this Mass. So what does that make about Jesus being raised from the dead? Now, again, my question is this. The Holy Spirit instructed Paul and he said that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. You can, call that, you can translate that doctrine for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Second Timothy 3.16 where, where do we find one passage in the entire Holy Bible that talks about the necessity of the, the Savior, the Messiah, being re-sacrificed? I can't find it. I doubt you can find it. And I doubt anyone trying to uphold a re-sacrifice of Christ found anywhere whatsoever in the Holy Scriptures. Um, Now, here's another root. Here's another root issue. Where do we find any warrant from the Holy Bible even for the continuation of the office of priesthood? I don't see any. I don't think the New Testament gives a continuation of the office of priesthood. What's the office of a priest for, anyway? A priest is to offer sacrifices unto God. Well, Jesus made the ultimate, last, final sacrifice on the cross. So why would we need a priesthood for offering sacrifices if Jesus made the last, final, ultimate sacrifice? I think that's clearly why. In the New Testament, there's no place found whatsoever for the continuation of the office of priest because Jesus made the last sacrifice. We look in the, we look in the New Testament, we have the office of elder. Um, it's mentioned, it can also be uh, mentioned there as a bishop or overseer. Uh, there's the mention of ruling elders and elders who labor hard in the preaching and teaching. That's uh, 1 Timothy 5 17. The other office that we have is the office of deacon that was instituted in Acts chapter 6. But there's, there's no continuation in the New Testament of an office of a priest because Jesus is the final, not just the final high priest, but he should be, you consider, the final priest, really, according God's sight. Um, it's just possible that the Roman Catholic Church did not want to let go of the office of priest. We have to have an ongoing priesthood. And we have to have an ongoing sacrifice given unto God. And, well, well let's just have a reenactment over and over again of the, this Jesus Christ being sacrificed in the Holy Mass with no warrant in Holy Scripture whatsoever. I, I hope this, I hope this, uh, helps you look and remember and appreciate the wonderful blessings of what Jesus has done. Thanks be to God that he didn't do an incomplete work. Thanks be to God that he did a final, finished, complete work. That's what he said on the cross when he died. It is finished. My sacrifice is done. The final sacrifice for sin is done And you don't need any further re-sacrificing of Christ at all. Let's pray together. We thank you, our blessed Lord, that Jesus died once and for all for sinners, sinners such as us. We pray that you would help us to put our faith in him, to trust in him and not in ourselves. Help us to put our faith and trust in him and not in the intervention of men, and not in the priesthood of men. Help us to not um, be deceived, but to receive and believe that Jesus Christ has offered himself once and for all for our sins. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to rejoice in this, and in, when we partake of the Holy Supper, help us to rejoice that in that finished, perfect, complete work of Jesus our Lord. Help us in these things, and we pray that you would guide and lead us unto truth through your holy scriptures. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, we'll turn and stand as we sing 263. O Savior, precious Savior, let's stand and sing